Well, he stands behind this pulpit so often we forget how he can tickle that ivory, but I enjoyed hearing that today, Philip. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Acts, chapter 17. We are uh, in Paul's second missionary journey, and he is now... uh, he is fully into the uh, area of Macedonia, which is northern Greece. He's left Turkey, where he did all of, of his first missionary journey. And uh, God kind of wouldn't let him go anywhere else in Turkey and, and sent him over, sent him to a, a vision uh, from, the Bible says, a man in Macedonia called him. And so that they, uh, they went over there and began in this area of northern Greece. And we uh, we began to see it's interesting some of these areas because they correspond with some of the books in the Bible uh, that we've learned and those, those letters that Paul wrote later on to check back in on those churches. And so like uh, we talked about Philippi, and of course we know the, the letter of Philippians. And today uh, we're going to talk about the city of Thessalonica. And of course there are two letters to the Thessalonians. And so it's, uh, it's interesting to kind of put that stuff together. Today our passage is um, Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15, and I want to ask if you would please stand with me in honor and reverence for the Word of God. Acts 17, beginning in verse 1. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia, and then they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service, and for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But some of the Jews were jealous, and so they gathered up some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and to start a riot. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. And not finding them there, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disturbing our city too. And Jason has welcomed them into his home. They are all guilty of treason against Caesar, for they profess allegiance to another king named Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul and Silas to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. And they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching preaching the word of God in Berea, they went there and stirred up trouble. The believers acted at once, sending Paul on the road, while Silas and Timothy remained behind. Those escorting Paul went with them all the way to Athens. 
Then they returned to Berea with instructions for Silas and Timothy to hurry and join him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, this, this part of the journey of seeing where uh, Paul and, and Silas and their companions, where they were, what they did in the cities of Thessalonica and in Berea. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would take these words and help us to understand, God, what we can uh, expect when we go to share uh, the Word of God with others. And uh, Lord, uh, how we can respond and how we can deal with um, the, the difficulties that we face at times in our life, trying to live out our faith. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Paul and Silas continue their journey. And you know, it, the Bible tells us that they passed through a couple of cities, Amphipolis and Apollonia. Uh, I don't know anything about them other than a little bit I read this week. And, and they were just average, ordinary cities. And why didn't they stop there and have missions there? We don't know. The Bible doesn't explain that. It didn't tell us why. And maybe there wasn't a synagogue in those cities or, or a, a, a section of Jews. Maybe simply the Holy Spirit urged them forward. But those cities were uh, both 20-something miles apart, which was if they had horses, a day's journey between those cities. If they were on foot, it might have been three or four days. But they went to those couple of cities. And then the Bible tells us that they get to Thessalonica. And it says, as was their custom... They found the synagogue, and they went, and they began to preach there. And the Bible tells us this was three Sundays. Uh, we know that he actually was in the city longer than this from other places in the Bible, uh, but maybe he didn't get to the synagogue the first uh, Sunday. We're, we're not sure how exactly that worked out. But uh, there he was, and he followed his, the Bible says, his strategy, his custom. He went to the synagogue. Why did he do that? He did that because that were, those were where the most receptive people were, the people most likely in that city to say they, they already knew about God, they knew he was sending a Messiah, and they needed to hear about this Messiah. The interesting thing that, uh, that we hear here is really kind of for the first time um, in the book of Acts is a really focused message of what Paul, what did he exactly speak to these folks in the synagogues about. And if you, uh, if you go back in verse 3, it says, He explained the prophecies and proved that the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. The Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. Now, why did he hone in on those two particular things? Think about it. Um, if you were trying to talk to your friend who didn't know Jesus, didn't know about Christianity, you would probably not begin with, now let me show you why Jesus had to suffer. I mean, you might work that in there. Um, you would certainly get to the resurrection about Jesus rising again. But why would Paul hone in on these two things? Because it's exactly what they needed to hear. Remember, he was coming in not to, he was not talking here to pagans who'd never heard of Jehovah God, never knew the, the message of the Bible. He was talking to Jews and then uh, God-fearers, which were Greeks or, or pagan people who had said, we don't follow those gods anymore. We're not full-on Greeks. We're not committing to this whole thing. But we believe that this is the God, uh, the, the one true God who's out there. 
And so these people already believed in God and all that he'd done in the Old Testament, and they were looking for a Messiah. So he comes in here to proclaim Jesus as that Messiah. But there were two hindrances to them saying, oh, okay, the Messiah's here. Yay, let's go with it. There were two things that were going to really bother them uh, about Jesus being the Messiah. The first was that he suffered. Although you and I can go back to Isaiah 53 and many passages in the Old Testament that talk about Jesus as a suffering servant, the Jews of that day did not interpret the Bible to see a suffering Messiah coming. They saw a conquering hero. They saw one who would come in and set things right, clean house, take care of business, ride in, and and rescue them for their oppressors. And so the idea that the Messiah that they'd been waiting on was a man who was actually going to allow himself to be taken and beaten and was going to suffer and even suffer the indignity of being on the cross. Now there's a passage in the Old Testament said, Cursed is he who hangs on a tree. And they thought of all people, surely not somebody who would be crucified could be a Messiah. And so what Paul had to do was he had to take them back step by step and walk through and say, look, here's a passage, here's a passage, here's some scriptures. And you can clearly see that the, that the uh, Messiah in the Hebrew scriptures, it's prophesied, he's going to suffer. Now the other thing besides suffering, they definitely didn't expect him to die. And so that was the other thing. Well, okay, Jesus died, but guess what? He didn't stay there. He was resurrected. And so he goes back to the scriptures, and he proves from the scriptures that Jesus would be resurrected. This method of of witnessing, it wasn't what Paul used towards everybody. Next time, next week, we'll see in Acts chapter 17, the last part of it, where he's in Athens, and he's talking to a bunch of Greek philosophers. Paul doesn't go this route. He uses a a totally different way to go. But he knows the person that he's talking to and what what their roadblocks are for Christianity. And you and I need to do that when we're trying to share our faith. A lot of times, we need to listen. I want to say Paul had got to this point, and, uh, and he had listened a lot, and he knew what those roadblocks were going to be, and he based his message around it. You and I need to listen to those that are non-believers around us and find out what are their hang-ups, what are the issues they have, how can we address those to bring them to Christ. By the way, uh, Paul's message here is not original. Uh, It's actually pretty much the same thing that Jesus told the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Do you remember that day? It was Easter Sunday and uh, not the early morning stuff where all the people were going to the tomb. But later on that day, there was a couple of guys walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. And Jesus showed up and they didn't realize who he was. And, and they just started having a casual conversation. And Jesus turned to him and said, oh, you are foolish and slow of heart. And, and the Bible says he laid out to him why he had to suffer before he went into his glory. That same thing that 
Jews needed to understand. God-fearers who believed the Old Testament but didn't know about Jesus yet, they had to grasp this message. Jesus is going to suffer, and he's going to rise again. Because once they got that message, wow, it's all laid out. The Messiah we've been looking for, maybe we weren't looking for the right kind of Messiah exactly. Now we see Jesus was him. And so that's the message that, that Paul and Silas gave um, there in Thessalonica. Now, things were going good. The Bible says some of the Jews persuaded. And by the way, persuaded, uh, you'll see that word a lot in Acts. Why is it? Because faith is a matter of belief. You and I have to be persuaded to put our faith in. We have to come to a point where our minds have changed from unbelief to belief in God. And these people are persuaded, some of the Jews and, and some of the God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. But it says in verse 5, But the Jews were so jealous, they gathered up troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. Uh, literally, these are, these are like bums. I mean, honestly, if you look in there in the Greek, it's like idle men, people who hang around and, and they don't do anything except for kind of wait to get, you know, roused up about something and, and, and then they get excited and go storm in, but they don't really have a real job. They just kind of float around and do nothing. That's the kind of guys these were. And, and these jealous Jews who don't believe that Jesus is Messiah, they stir up the rabble. They rouse them up and they get them and they go before and they attack um, uh, the, the, these believers, they go to find Paul and Silas, but their attack isn't planned out very well because Paul and Silas aren't there. And, but they got a mob, and they're like, we're going to get somebody. So they go to this guy named Jason where, you know, he, he'd been letting Paul and Silas sleep there. So they grab Jason, and they take him in front of the, uh, the, 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 um, uh, the magistrates or whatever you want to call them. By the way, when I studied this, it's pretty interesting. Uh, in the Greek, it uses a particular term that's not the normal term for, for rulers or magistrates in the Roman world. It's a different term. And, you know, uh, all the time there are people who are skeptics of the Bible who, when they find stuff like this, they'll say, Oh, see, we know that the, we know that the Bible doesn't know what they're talking about. But then archaeology in the city of Thessalonica has uncovered and shown that in that city they used a different term for their city leaders. And it's just one of the things you come across all the time if you look at the scholarship that is constantly affirming the reliability uh, of the written word of God. But these, these guys, they start this huge thing, and it's really funny because they accuse Paul and Silas of turning the world upside down. <laughs> Okay, the irony. They've just gathered a crowd of bums and started a riot, and they're accusing Paul and Silas of disturbing two things, disturbing the peace, and they're accusing him of, uh, of kind of disrespecting Caesar. Now, if you want to get a rise out of people, if you want people to take notice, this is what you said in those days. Uh, now, think about it today. There are certain things you can accuse people of, and nobody gets all that excited about. But there's other things out there that if you accuse somebody of, man, they're tainted. I mean, they're, they're, there's a, a, a lot of anger. And, and this could be if it's something about bigotry or sexual harassment or, or things like that. 
And obviously there's true cases of those things unfortunately happening in the world. But, but we know that there's certain hot button issues that if you accuse people of, it's big news, right? Well, in the ancient world, to accuse people of these two things, to say you're disturbing the peace, which sounds like no big deal to us, it was a really big deal back then, or to be disrespecting Caesar, both of those things were a big deal. Because the Roman Empire, uh, there was a thing called Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. And they liked peace, and they got peace by crushing literally crushing anyone who stirred up trouble. They liked their peace very much, and they would put you down in a heartbeat if that's what it took to keep that peace. So they accuse them of being troublemakers. And then secondly, they say, oh, and they're, um, they're disrespecting Caesar. And this is a big deal, too, because the emperor was going to keep himself on the throne. You know, our country, we say, God bless America, Right? In ancient Rome, you didn't say, God bless Caesar. Uh, you didn't say, God bless Rome. You said, uh, Caesar is Lord. That was the thing that you had to say. If you wanted to get along in society, if you wanted to be okay, you had to say, Caesar is Lord. That was the patriotic thing to do, to acknowledge Caesar as Lord over all. And you see, here the Christians come in, and they weren't about a political message, but they were about a Lord who was Lord over all things. And that Lord was Jesus. And so when they said Jesus is Lord, they weren't trying to stir up controversy. They weren't trying to be political. But yet that message in a world that said Caesar is Lord, the message that Jesus is Lord, was automatically going to be a controversial message. So these people have stirred it all up. And the city officials, they don't even have Paul and Silas there to put them on trial because they couldn't find them. Uh, they simply say, okay, Jason, uh, you, you put in some bond money and make a promise that you're not going to stir up trouble. And these guys are, you know, not, not coming back and whatever, it, whatever. And the Bible says then they moved on. To the next city down the road, about 40 miles away, there was a city called Berea. Now, Thessalonica was a big-time city, lots of civic pride. Uh, it, was, it was kind of the regional center for that area. Berea was a small city. They were kind of out-of-the-way folks. They weren't so big on their, their pride of themselves. And the Bible tells us that they got a very different reaction in verse uh, 11, it says, And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica, and they listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the Scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. And as a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek women and men. These people in Berea are the reason that you, if you search around, you'll find a Berea Bible College, you'll find a Berea Sunday School class in a lot of places, a Berea Baptist Church or Berea Church or Berea Bible College or whatever. There's lots of Christian organizations that name themselves after the Bereans because the Bible says that they were more noble-minded or more open-minded than the folks in Thessalonica. 
Paul went to Thessalonica. He preached. He shared the message as often as they would let him, which is basically on, on the Saturdays, on the Sabbaths. Once a week, he, for three weeks, he preached and he taught. Here in Berea, the Bible says that day after day, they listened and they examined the Word of God and they wanted to find out whether it was true or not. This kind of eagerness for God's Word and for the truth, it's honestly what every Christian minister hopes for, whether he's a pastor or a youth minister or a children's minister. What we want is for people to take what we are saying and compare it to God's word and make sure that we're saying the right thing. And then if what we're saying lines up with God's word, then that's what we do. Or what do we do? Basically, whatever's in here, right? But we're preaching. We want folks to listen for God speaking, confirm it in God's word that this is really the truth and to believe it and to live it. And that's the kind of people these Bereans were. In other words, they weren't prejudiced against ideas they hadn't had already. They weren't stuck in, well, this is the way I've always believed. Or this is what Papa said. Or, 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 you know, this is the way I like to see it. They said, well, you know, this is new to us. This is different what you're saying, Paul. But keep talking because it's interesting. Keep talking because it's, it's different and we want to hear more because we want to go back to the Scripture and see if that's really true. And these people were eager for the truth. It tells us, as you contrast the Thessalonians and the Bereans, you and I are going to have different results when we go to share our faith. Sometimes, like in Thessalonica, we have a little bit of success and a lot of opposition. Other times, like in Berea, people are going to eagerly lap it up. Now, we get the, the, the idea that a great majority of the people in Berea who listened, they actually believed. But, you know, even there, the Bible didn't say that they all believed. There were as many who believed. There were still some who listened and said, no, no thanks, that's not for me. I just can't buy into this idea of a suffering Savior. I can't buy into this idea of a crucified and risen Messiah. But most of the people... Uh, believed, and all of them, it seems at least, or the vast majority said, hey, we'll hear you out. We'll listen to you. Everything went great in, in Berea until that uh, the folks in Thessalonica, they were so mad, they were so unhappy. When they heard that 40 miles down the road, which, man, that's a long way away in the ancient world, right? That's, that's like us going over to some church in Texas because we're mad about something we heard. They, uh, they said, we don't like it, and they tried to start the same trouble there. And so they sent Paul, the believers said, Paul, <laughs> you got to go. And, and by the way, Paul was a great person, but Paul was a, there's probably a better word for it, but he was a divider. You either, you know, there's some people in life that everybody's like, oh, yeah, they're a nice person. And there's other people in life, I love him. I hate him. Okay? Paul was that kind of person. You're either going to love him or you're going to hate him. And they realized, Paul, we got to get you out of here because these people tried to get you last time. They're going to make sure they get you. And they sent him on to Athens. And so next week, we're going to see one of the most unique stories in the whole book of Acts where Paul is actually talking uh, to a group of not Jewish people or God-fearing people, but he's actually talking 
to some pagans, some Greek philosophers, and we'll see some really neat stuff there. But I just want to encourage you from looking at our story today. When you got a witness, the results aren't up to you. That's up to the Holy Spirit. That's between God and those people that you're talking uh, to, that you're sharing with. You can't save anyone yourself. God saves them, but you're just the message bearer. But remember, when you're trying to share the message, you don't have to share some big, long outline that you learned at an evangelism training conference or, or in Sunday school or something like that. You simply have to find out what is it that's keeping them from Christ. What, what, what is it that they need to know or they need to understand to be able to believe in Jesus? And you simply share those things, and it's up to them how they receive them. You hope they'll be Bereans. They might be Thessalonians. You never know. That's between them and the Lord. Pray with me this morning. Father God, I come to you and I thank you uh, so much for your goodness, your mercy, your kindness and grace. That all of us heard the message of life. We heard that we were sinners who could not save ourselves but that you sent a Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die a cruel and painful death, but then to rise again, to overcome sin and hell and the grave. And because he overcame, we can overcome through faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you that we've received that message, and I pray that you'd help us not only to appreciate the privilege of being able to know that message and worship you freely, but, Father, we'd put that appreciation into action, and we would share that message with others. Lord, be now with our time of invitation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.